Today's scripture is from Matthew 12, 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? So he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. This is God's word. You may be seated. So we are in chapter 12, as you heard read. If you were here the past few weeks, uh, you heard Jonathan Perdome, one of our pastoral residents, teach from Matthew chapter 12 last week as I was out of town with my kids on spring break. Uh, he did, if you're really paying close attention, he did jump a little bit ahead in Matthew 12 because I assigned him that text back in December before I realized how much I was going to slow down through the end of Matthew chapter 11. And that's important because our passage today has a lot to do with the end of Matthew chapter 11. You may remember that Jesus has extended an invitation to those who are weary, to those who are burdened, and he has offered a way of holiness that is in stark contrast to the religious legalism of the the Pharisees in their day, and his offer is rest. His offer is rest, and rest is the very thing that these Pharisees are robbing their people of. And so now Jesus makes this abundantly clear in this passage as he attacks the Pharisees' understanding of the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day and make it holy. So I think about this Sabbath rest, and and as I was, you know, I've had weeks really to think about it because I was out last week and I started this two weeks ago, and just thinking about how, how difficult it is for Western 21st century 21st century people to talk about the Sabbath because we're going to see we're going to see the Pharisees making little of the law by piling on to the law but in our context we're like the other extreme we are lucky if we if we take a Sabbath we may take off work but no one's really struggling I don't think with the kind of legalism that we that we see in this passage we struggle with legalism in different ways but generally not around the Sabbath so I look at this passage and I think of my mother-in-law from New Albany, Mississippi. She uh, grew up and every summer, uh, their family along with a number of other families would move out to the lake house about 15 minutes outside of town for the whole summer. And the, the dads would you know, commute back into town, but the, the wives and children would stay at the lake the whole summer. And so there's of course no TV or internet back then. And so all there was to do was swim and play cards, which is fun 
unless it was Sunday. <laughs> when her Southern Baptist rearing said, this is a day of rest and there will be no cards and no swimming. And so she dreaded Sundays during the summer because it wasn't rest, it was just boredom for her. And then she looked around the lake and she noticed, you know what? The Methodists are swimming. The Methodists can play cards. And she told her mom at the age of seven, I'm going to be a Methodist when I grew up because they know how to have fun. They're allowed to swim and they're allowed to play cards. And she's still a very committed Southern Baptist, but she would, she would acknowledge that maybe there are ways that her church and her family put, it, put added burdens on, uh, on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, that actually did more to detract from rest maybe than it did to add to rest. And I think of that story because I think it's, I mean, it's, it's a much smaller deal with probably more uh, genuine motives than we see in our passage, but it is a picture of what's going on in this passage. The problem here isn't that the Pharisees are taking the law too seriously. The problem isn't that they are resting too much and they need to be encouraged, don't, don't rest this much. The problem is that they're taking the law too lightly in their hearts. And as we're going to see, they confront Jesus, and Jesus uses this as an opportunity to then confront them and tell them, you don't only not know about rest, you misunderstand the whole law because you don't understand who I am. Or maybe the opposite could be true. You don't understand who I am because you don't understand the main point of the law. So we're going to look at this passage and walk through it, and we're going to see... And I'm going to say these three things are important because they're different than what I, I prepared something two weeks ago. That's your outline. I've modified it a little bit this week. So what we're going to see is the Pharisees' accusation against Jesus. Then we're going to see what the Pharisees misunderstood about Jesus. And then we're just going to talk about how we can apply that today in our own lives. So first, the accusation against Jesus. The accusation is simple. They accuse Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law as it pertains to the Sabbath rest, to the Sabbath day. That's the accusation. Jesus, is, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through uh, a field that wasn't theirs, and that's not a problem as we'll see, but they're, they're gleaning from this field. That means they're plucking the grain from this field. They're, uh, they're rubbing the grain between their fingers. They're blowing the chafe off. They're eating it. And the, the Pharisees come and the Pharisees accuse them of breaking the rules that they have for the, the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about this before, but one of the main problems of the Pharisees is that they have taken the Mosaic law and they've added all these things to the Mosaic law. They've added these requirements that make the, the Pharisees feel like they're actually accomplishing what it is that the Mosaic Law, as we read it in the first five books of the Bible, what it says that we should be doing. And when they do this, they're heaping huge burdens, both on, on the people around them and themselves, which is why Jesus comes and says, I come to give you rest, not to heap these added burdens onto your shoulders. And before I criticize the Pharisees, and I will criticize the Pharisees, it's important to understand historically where this came from. Like what motivated the Pharisees to add all these laws? There are actually 39 different categories of new laws that they were adding to the Mosaic law. The fourth commandment is a very important commandment. The fourth commandment is one of the main reasons that the Israelites were exiled. They were exiled to Babylon and they were told one of the main reasons that you're exiled is because you haven't kept the Sabbaths that I have told you to keep. And so your exile will last until all these Sabbaths are made up. You can see this in 2 Chronicles 36. We read, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, 
to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. So we reference the words of, Jer- of God through Jeremiah. Here are those words from Jeremiah 17, 27. But if you do not enter, listen to me, to keep the Sabbath day holy and do not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Then I will kinder a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and sh- devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So over the course of the preceding 400 years before what we're reading, the time frame of Jesus, over the course of 400 years, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again. So they started trying to add to the law to make sure that they didn't miss the Sabbath again and be exiled and punished again. But what happened is they fundamentally misunderstood the whole purpose of the law. And so by adding man's law to God's law, they effectively minimized God's law. So that, that might sound weird. How, do you, how is adding to God's law actually minimizing it? Now, I wanna, I wanna make this, I wanna flesh this out. I'll give you three examples. I've taken them all from a pastor named James Boyce. So here's the first example. The law said that no one was to travel on a Sabbath, Exodus 16, 19. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place or in his dwelling place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So no one's to travel. How do you define travel? You know, first you want to make sure we don't do this thing, so let's, let's define it. Well, they came up with a thousand yards. A thousand yards about from your dwelling place, that's what you can't do. Now, if you were, say, to put a rope at the end of your street, then your whole neighborhood's your dwelling place, and you can go a thousand yards past that. And if you, let's say you made a meal on Friday and you put it in somebody else's house and that's less than a thousand yards, you could walk and you could prepare that meal and you are not prepare, you could eat that meal there. That constitutes then another dwelling place so you can go another thousand yards. So you see by adding these laws, they're actually detracting from the whole heart of what God is wanting them to do. Example two, the law also forbade carrying a load on the Sabbath. Well, what does carrying a load mean? And so they said, well, if you could wear it, that's not a load, but if you had to carry it in your arms, then that's a load. So people began to wear all kinds of crazy things to be able to transfer things to different parts of the house or to another house within a thousand yards. They would wear multiple layers of clothes. They would wear blankets, whatever it is that they, they wanted, they would, they would wear because that wasn't breaking the law, technically. And so again, we see adding to the law is really minimizing it third example and probably closest to our text the law forbade work on the sabbath well what constitutes work and so they had all these laws all these rules added to be very clear when you're working and when you're not and it included even things like spitting you know is this spit is it work or is it not and they determined it depended on where the spit went if the spit went into the dirt and something could grow that's farming that's work but if it landed on a rock you're good. And so you can see, like, it's just, they're, they're adding all these things, but effectively minimizing what it is that God wants to say to us in his law. So the Pharisees thought they were preventing people from breaking the law, at least, let's say, in the beginning, but it actually became a way of breaking the law. They were actually leading people into breaking the law more than they would if they hadn't had added anything. 
And here's how, it, how, what the Pharisees are doing. This is how it hits me. I was in college ministry for about 10 years and there's one question that I'm asked by young men more than probably any other question. And that question is, how far is too far physically with my girlfriend? And at that point, I'm like, dude, you already lost. <laughs> if you're just trying to figure out how far is too far, what's the most I can do and technically be okay, you've already lost. That's what the, the Pharisees are doing. They're, they're saying, how far is technically too far? How much can we get away with? The question really for the college guy is how do you honor God the most in this relationship? And the question for us in the law is how do we honor God the most in our understanding of it? That's not how the Pharisees were thinking. So Jesus and his disciples, they were on this Sabbath stroll, probably within the thousand yard uh, maximum because the Pharisees hadn't said anything about that. And they were, they were picking grain, which was allowed, Deuteronomy 23, 25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So you can go and pluck, but you can't just go and harvest a whole part of the field. God had made provisions for people who were poor and tired and weary to be able to get some nourishment. So the, the Pharisees' charge wasn't that they were stealing the grain. The Pharisees' charge was that they were doing it on the Sabbath, which constituted reaping. So the, the actual plucking that's reaping, the, uh, the actual rubbing is threshing, the blowing of the chase is winnowing and put it all together and you're making a meal. And so that's the accusation. You're breaking the Sabbath law, Jesus, and you're leading all your disciples to do the same thing. And now Jesus turns around and shows them that the Pharisees, you don't just not understand the Sabbath, you misunderstand all of the law because you don't understand me. And so this is the second point, what the Pharisees misunderstood about Jesus. It's interesting, I think, to see that although Jesus, he had the opportunity simply to correct them, simply to say, you misunderstand the law, you've added these things, that's not helping you, but he goes way further than this and Jesus shows them four things that they fundamentally don't understand about Jesus. And if they did, they would be able to see Jesus for who he is and they wouldn't be making these crazy accusations. So here's the first. They don't understand that Jesus is the greater David. This is verses three through six. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for priests. So you may remember 1 Samuel 21. This is when the anointed king, David, was fleeing from the reigning king, Saul. And David's, David's men that were with him, they were fleeing, they were tired, they were weary, they were hungry. So they went to the tabernacle because there was no temple yet. And at the tabernacle, they went to the priest and said, they asked, can we eat the consecrated bread? So that's the bread. That's why we think this was also happening on the Sabbath because the bread was ready to go. So this, this bread was supposed to be consecrated and was only to be eaten by the priest. This is written in the law. It was only to be eaten by the priest. The priest said, yes, in this circumstance, David, you can eat this bread. You and your men can have it. And nowhere in scripture does it say that David was wrong for doing that. So this is really important. Why is Jesus using this to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees' theology could not explain how that was okay. The Pharisees' theology was so nitpicky and they, 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 they want... They followed everything in, that they created in the law to the T. So they had no way to explain what's going on in 1 
Samuel 21. They couldn't explain why it was okay that David didn't follow the law to a T and he wasn't, he wasn't uh, condemned for doing it. And then, of course, this is a very similar situation that Jesus and his companions are in. It's the Sabbath. They're tired. They're hungry. And so they set aside the regulations on that day to be able to eat. And this is, of course, what brings these accusations. And if David, this is what Jesus, I, th- I think, the point he's making. If David could put aside aspects of God's ceremonial law to eat divinely ordained ceremonial provisions, then why can't Jesus set aside these man-made laws to feed men? The Pharisees want to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, but Jesus is accusing them of not understanding the law in its entirety. And you can't get around the fact here that Jesus is comparing himself to David. At the very least, Jesus is saying, well, if David could do this, why can't I? And if, and if he's making this comparison, he's saying, I'm at least, at least as special as, or important as David. And when you really, we, we, the feeling is he's saying, I'm actually more important. I'm actually more special than David by making this comparison, which would have incensed them and leads us Uh, But he doesn't stop there. It leads us to the third thing that he was wanting them to see. He takes it even further and he shows them the second thing, not third, the second thing that they didn't understand about Jesus is that he is greater than the temple itself. Verses five and six. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So the priests, they're, they're not following the rules, and, but they're guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. So Jesus is offering another Old Testament example. He's looking at the priests, and he's, he's, he's asking the Pharisees if the Sabbath is primarily just about what not to do. If the Sabbath is primarily not working, then how is it okay that the priests are working? Your theology can't explain that. To which they would have said, well, Jesus, it's, in the, t- it's the temple. You know, they have to facilitate worship. The temple makes this, uh, makes this unique uh, disregard of certain regulations okay. To which Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the temple. How does that change things? So the word temple, it basically means meeting place between God and man. You know, it's, it's, I think we can have this idea that the temple is this, this little place that's God's home and that's, that's the only place he can be. And that's, that's not, the, the idea of temple is there are places where over the course of human history that God has ordained in space and time, this is where I am going to meet with sinful people. And so, of course, even going before our sin, the Garden of Eden was a kind of temple. Then you had the tabernacle, which was a temple. Then you had the temple, which is a temple. And in the very center was the Holy of Holies where God's very presence dwelled. Now though, there is a temple that is entirely new to humanity. And that is Jesus. Jesus, who is literally God with us. This is why John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt is literally tabernacled among us. Jesus is the new and better meeting place between God and man. So Jesus is saying, I'm better than the temple. What are you going to do with that? How does that change the way that you understand things? Of course, they have their, their theological rubrics don't compute. It doesn't jive. It doesn't work. They can't explain what's going on based on their understanding of the law. 
So Jesus has already accused them of not knowing the law. And then in this little section here, he says, have you even read the law? I mean, imagine going to a seminary professor and saying, have you actually even read the Bible? I mean, what you're teaching is so deficient. I'm wondering if you've actually even ever read this thing. That's what Jesus is saying to these, to these Pharisees. So how does this apply to Jesus and company? I want this to be really clear. If the priests could work in the temple on the Sabbath, why could Jesus not do necessary things when he is greater than the temple? That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. Third, they failed to understand that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus building on this, he's greater than David, he's the great, greater than the temple, and now we get to him being the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is in verses seven and eight, and this is another rebuke of the Pharisees by Jesus, and he's quoting from Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So in Hosea's day, they had reduced the law to mere ritual. They, could, they feel like they could do whatever they want. They could sin however they want. As long as they went and did this ritualistic law thing, they were fine. It washed them clean. It wasn't an atonement for their sin. It wasn't a guilt offering. It was just a way to continue to be able to sin and feel fine about it. And Jesus is comparing the, the, the Pharisees to these people. He's saying, you're doing the same thing with your superficial reliance on your man-made laws. You are no better than that. If you had understood Hosea 6, you would understand what you're doing right now is wrong. And this is why Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, Hosea 6, 6, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is not, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What they didn't understand is the whole purpose of the law is to point to Jesus. In Jesus, the entire law is fulfilled. The Pharisees, they haven't just mishandled the law. They've missed the whole point of it because they've missed Jesus. They don't understand the law. The law points to Jesus. They don't understand what Jesus is, who he is, and who, what he is here to do. And you have to follow this logic to make sense. Why is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? In the same way that the temple requirements superseded the normal Sabbath restrictions, Jesus, who is greater than the temple, can handle the Sabbath any way he wants to. He is Lord of the Sabbath because of who he is, and the Pharisees can't understand that because they don't understand Scripture. And then fourthly, they didn't understand that loving God means loving your neighbor. After this whole interaction, Jesus walks over to the synagogue and he walks right up to a man with an obviously withered hand. And I, I mean, it, it really seems like as you read it, like he's provokingly going to this person. The, the Pharisees are there, they're watching. And so he just walks up and then the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And then verse 11, Jesus said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, you wouldn't even treat your animals the way that you treat your people. You, you treat your animals better than you treat your people. Any religious obedience that ignores human need is no religion at all. And it's certainly not the religion of the Bible. 
the Bible tells us that we have two main priorities. First, to love God. That is the first four of the Ten Commandments. And the second, to love our neighbor. That is the second six of our Ten Commandments. You can't use loving God, like the Pharisees are, as a reason to not love other people. They don't work against each other, but the Pharisees, they don't understand that because they don't understand the law and they don't understand Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. That's how I imagine him saying it, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So if you're gonna fire at somebody, make sure don't miss, and Jesus does not miss here. He says, I am the greater David, I am greater than the temple, I am Lord of the Sabbath, and then he proves it with this demonstration of power in front of everybody. So how do we now apply that in our lives today? All right, I wanna be really clear. This text is not about the Sabbath. This text is about Jesus. This text is about Jesus being the ultimate Lord of everything and everyone. When Jesus went to trial, they did not accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. That wasn't an issue. They accused Jesus of claiming to be God himself, claiming to be Lord. That's what this text is about. It's not how do we nitpick the Sabbath, it's who is Jesus. That's what this, Jesus is using this entire interaction to communicate to everyone there and over the course of human history through the Bible. The Pharisees were not thinking too much about the law they were thinking too little about the law. They weren't looking to uphold the law. They simply wanted to tear down the Messiah. That was their mindset. So with that in mind, there are three questions I want us to ask ourselves. First, are we heaping unnecessary burdens on ourselves and those closest to us? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were heaping unnecessary Sabbath burdens on these people. They were growing weary and burdened. And my guess is probably we don't do it the same way, but we do it. We look at somebody and think, well, they're, they're a first-class Christian if they believe in Jesus plus do this other thing, whatever that is. They're a first-class Christian if, if they have Jesus plus this way of schooling their children, Jesus plus my view of vaccinations, Jesus plus my view of masks, Jesus plus gluten-free. I know some of you need it medically, it's okay, but we don't elevate these things to the same level of Jesus. And the main way I've seen it play out this year is Jesus plus my political party. And I've seen it on both sides of the aisle. Second question, do you know the law is here to help you? Because there are two ways that we can minimize the law. We can minimize it like the Pharisees are and add to it, or we can minimize it on the other extreme and just throw out all the good that God intends for us in the law. The law is here to help us. So we, were, we, we got back last night from spring break in the mountains and we did a lot of hiking. And my six-year-old did not understand why I did not want him to stand at the edge of a mountain where only a strong breeze really is between him and a 500 foot fall. He didn't understand why I wouldn't let him have the fun of climbing whatever rock he wanted to climb. He didn't understand why I wouldn't just let him haul off on these, these paths and we'll just catch up with you when we catch up with you. He didn't understand that I'm fundamentally there to help him. I'm trying to love him. I, I'm for him and that's why he needs to listen to me. And that's how we have to understand the law. The law exists to to keep us safe, it exists to show us our sin, but most of all, the law exists 
to point us to Jesus and to conform us into his image. The law is good and it is here to help us if we understand how. And then lastly, do we have a religion that loves God and loves people? I don't care how much Bible we know. If we aren't loving others, it's not working. So this week, we're gonna be challenged, I think, in this. This week, our elders have our first real serious discussion on masks. And I have seen churches torn apart here in town over this issue of masks. And I have no idea how the decision is gonna go, but I know one thing for sure. Some of you are gonna be really irritated at the decision we make. I know that. You know, if we decide to keep going with masks, people are irritated. If we decide to, to make them optional, people are irritated. And if we decide, you know, we're just gonna wait a month and, and make a decision at that time, people are gonna be irritated. So here we have an opportunity to love God and other people, to show that, that, that our love, it goes beyond us getting what, what we want. And I will say whoever it is, and I don't know, I don't even think the elders are gonna be unified 100% on this, this thing, but we're gonna love each other in it. We have, it's been beautiful watching the elders disagree and love each other in this conversation. Can we as a church do the same thing? Can we be a beacon of this kind of love for each other this week on this really touchy, and if I'm very honest, draining issue? This passage is about the lordship of Jesus Christ as Messiah in our lives. That's the point of this passage. And that's gonna land differently with different people. If you are like the Pharisees and you have heaped burdens knowingly or unknowingly on yourself and others and you have carried those burdens, you've worked hard for those burdens, you are not gonna wanna hear somebody like Jesus come along and say, that's unnecessary. Not only do you not have to do that, these people don't have to do that either and they're just as good of a Christian as you. But then to many of us in this room, we're gonna see it differently. We're gonna know that Jesus is enough. We're gonna feel those burdens fall off our shoulders. And we're gonna know that not only do we have the same law as the Pharisees and we have Christ's teaching to understand those, that law, we have Jesus himself. Jesus who has kept these laws perfectly. And at the end of the day, regardless of how you process the Sabbath, whether you understand it perfectly, you know that Christ, he completed it for you. He obeyed the Sabbath and every other law perfectly so that you could have rest with him. This law gives us an opportunity to practice the gospel in the real world, knowing the work is finished. So on the Sabbath, we rest in the one who finished it for us. And just to push a little bit, if we can't trust him enough to rest from our earthly work for a day and trust in his provision, then how will we learn to rest from our constant trying to earn our own righteousness instead of trusting in his? John Frame said that the Sabbath is not a fast. You know, we can look at the Sabbath like my, my mother-in-law and just look at the things that we can't do. He says the Sabbath is a feast. It's where we feast on the best things in life. We, we feast on worship. We feast on being with people we love, with friends and with family. But most of all, we feast on being with Jesus. That's what the Sabbath is here for. It's not about what you do 
or what you don't do. It's about who we get to be with. So today, we get to be with friends and family. Today, we get to be with Christ and his presence in, in a unique way. And we're invited to enjoy him and rest this day. Rest knowing what it is that he's done for us. And this rest is gonna continue in just a moment by being able to celebrate communion as a church family. Let's pray. God, we thank you for rest. Something that so few of us, if any of us, really understand in in this culture. But we thank you that you, you bring it to us. And I pray that you would make that this would be more clear to us, that we would not just have a, a, an academic knowledge of rest, but a deep sense of who Jesus Christ is and what he brings us in terms of rest, and that it will make us calmer, more loving, more gracious people. And in so doing, that we would model you and your character and your gospel and draw people into your kingdom. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.